To be the best, you need to play with the best. You might not have your own personal high-level circle of women yet, but you can hang with us on The Female Millionaire Show. I'm Midori Verity, serial entrepreneur for over 25 years, and I interview badass female founders and cut through to what you really need to know. So in 20 minutes, you have what can take years to learn. If you're wanting to play bigger, come play with us. Join the female entrepreneur revolution today. Cheers. We are talking with a woman who happened to get funded, but she wasn't intending to get funded. And we're going to talk about how that all unfolded and how you can have that mindset too. Sometimes we get so set in, I need to do this. I need this to happen that we get caught up and we start letting chatter cloud our actions and our progress. And so Maria Solvichek, sorry, Maria Solvichek, she is going to be sharing her story of how she has created this amazing biotech firm called Synthex and who started as a scientist. And so Maria, welcome to the show. And I apologize for, for butchering your name. No worries at all. And thank you for having me. It's Solvichek. Solovechik, thank you. Like so, will you describe your business a bit? Just you know, high level, what you do. So, effectively, uh, Synthex is a therapeutics company. We started as an idea, like literally a sketch on a napkin, uh, a bit over seven years ago. For how do we develop better drugs? How do we come up with better medicines that are more likely to help patients in the clinic and have a long term effect by going after the root causes of disease? Uh, and we've effectively come up with a way to engineer cells to be able to do drug discovery uh, that makes it a lot more relevant and efficient uh, when it comes to downstream uh, development. So that was the whole premise for the company and new way for discovering drugs and applying that towards oncology is the focus for us internally. Okay. So what made you decide, you know what, I'm going to go start a company. I think that I should be doing this. You were a scientist. Did you want to become an entrepreneur at some point and own a business? What was your premise when you were going through college and when you first graduated? Excellent question. So I never really wanted to be uh, an entrepreneur. I never saw myself in that role. Um, all my academic life I did in Toronto and Canada. Uh, and in Toronto, there's not that many opportunities for entrepreneurship, especially in biotech. It's just not something that people even fantasize about, I have to say. So it was more of a... I effectively wanted to do science that felt differentiated, uh, that was unique. I felt like all my investment so far in, in education was towards that goal of doing something that's different than that matters. And I couldn't necessarily find a way to do that within the constraints of academia. And then if any uh, of the listeners have any kind of concept of academia, it's pretty rigid in certain ways. And I definitely wanted to get away from that and do something more translational. So I was actually looking for jobs at pharma where I could do the thing that we wanted to build within the company. Uh, and I couldn't find anything that would allow for that. Uh, so the whole thought of, hey, maybe we should start this as an actual biotech was a, a very opportunistic kind of uh, nutty idea <laughs> at the time. And it was largely because we found of a funding source. Uh, that was based out in San Francisco. It was an accelerator program called IndieBio, and they would give you a little bit of funding and lab space, which is really the most crucial thing for biotechs, because that's where all your money goes. Um, and that would just uh, help you get started. And I figured that would be a really great way because I knew nothing of, about business or, or forming a corporation or anything like that. And we were fortunate enough to get in on the on the just the premise of what we wanted to build, uh, convince the folks that it's physically possible, it solves a really huge problem, 
and we are the people to do it because we have the skills to actually build the thing that we want for the initial steps. So it's kind of a leap of faith. I uh, learned on the job, <laughs> uh, didn't have any formal training, uh, no MBA or anything like that. Just I like reading. So I read a lot of things that kind of helped me at least pick up the lingo and the concepts. Um, but yeah. So did you have to do, did you do, was this like a venture capital type of, of pitch fest that you had to do as well? I know that you were in an incubator where you mm-hmm. go in and they were watching over you. Obviously they're looking for opportunities as well. But did you have to go in and, and share a thesis and why you were the right people for it? Did you have to do that? Or was it more they just were watching over you? For the acceptance, we did. So it was actually a really competitive process of just getting into that uh, program. I think they take like 13 to 15 companies per batch. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get hundreds of applications for every particular batch uh, internationally. Uh, so it was a really nice way to get folks to believe in you and have that initial like stamp of approval <laughs> that yeah. helped along the way. But all it takes is literally just one person giving you a chance. And in our case, it was a couple of folks that believed in the idea and the potential that it could have and figured we seemed like the ambitious type to actually try to get it done and gave us that foot in the door. So let's talk about that a, a little bit. In fact, it's the weird thing is, is I'm going and I'm um, talking at a funding event in San Francisco in two days. So let's talk a little bit about that because I know that it was for the incubator and your main thing was getting into the, having access to a lab, right? That's incredible. But how did you do the research and figure out what you needed to be talking about and how to position your theory so that you're capturing their attention and they were leaning in and they said yes to you? What was your, you know, how did you navigate that? Yeah, so that's actually one thing that I didn't know how to do at all in the beginning. So I would literally just give an academic science talk when I would pitch. It would be super detailed, probably like it would make IP lawyers upset to an extent because I would get into like the really into the details of the how. And then later I realized it's about the what. It's about the so what, if it works. Uh, So just zooming out and making that larger uh, problem, because to me it was so obvious. That's why I focused on the details. But when you're talking to folks who've never really thought about this problem in as much depth, you really have to frame it in the context of, you know, this isn't just like a hammer looking for a nail, but this is like a very fundamental problem. And this is the right hammer for this particular nail. I love that because often we get so stuck in our own little bubble, right? And like you said, you you came from the science background. It is about the details. You have to be detail oriented. But depending on who you're talking to, you have to adapt, whether you're talking to someone in private equity or an incubator or a venture capitalist or an angel fund, it's different with each group. And you need to adapt your presentation and your pitch for that particular, whoever you are pitching to. And so clearly you figured that out. So you got, you got in, you got some funding. And you're building traction. I know that you have partnered with um, with Meyer Briggs. Did I say that right? Bristol Myers Group. Yeah. Bristol Myers. Sorry, I have too many names going through my head. Um, Bristol Myers, and which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But what kind of challenges have you faced as you've grown your business? Uh, so fundraising has frankly been uh, a bit of a challenge, especially as an outsider to the field. I feel like there's a few different things you can raise money on. There's like the fundamental science, which is what I'm biasing towards. There's that kind of brand recognition that some folks just have implied credibility based on what they've built before, which makes sense often. 
Um, and then there's just like networks and connections. And uh, the the last part is something that I cer certainly lacked moving into the Bay Area out of Canada, where I, I knew nobody here. Yeah. So there's none of this kind of implied credibility when you walk into a room, especially I think being a woman, it's a little bit harder because just the way people see each other, uh, there's a certain affinity towards people that remind you of other people that you already interacted with. And most venture capitalists, there's so many statistics on that. There's so few women in power. Um, there's more women coming up through the ranks, but they're still junior enough not to be able to fully be able to um, kind of take a decision autonomously, unfortunately. Uh, so it does make it a little bit more challenging because you have to work against a lot of preconceived biases of like, oh, this guy looks like a great founder that I, you know, he reminds me of Bob from like 2015. Let's give him a million bucks. Uh, so there's been a, a bit of that bias that's of myself and many uh, female CEOs that we have uh, little groups of support for. That we kind of chat around how do we get around that? And and my approach has been data uh, effectively just proving that the science is beyond any reasonable doubt. We did raise venture funding after the incubator stage. So we we were able to bring in some venture capital, uh, which has been fantastic because when you're building a technology from scratch, you need that support. Otherwise, there's just no other source of funding. Uh, government grants are pretty limited, not enough, and uh, a little too slow yeah. for funding this type of work. So you need adventurous uh, investors we have a long-term vision that could actually follow through. Yeah. So let's hit on that a little bit because it's, I think it's 3% of women get funded, right? That are going for it. So they're, they're, it's just a fact of the matter, but let's talk about ways that, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things of what you did to position you so that you were more likely to get funding. So one, it looks like you have some other people on your team that could speak the speak, mm -hmm. Right. Did that help you with, with, was that part, was that something that you consciously put in place so that you had a higher chance of getting funding or did that come later? Uh, not at all. I mean, I've, I've been very much focusing on you bringing people that are good for the company for the macro, not necessarily for a particular, you know, uh, window dressing type of effect uh, for certain investors. So we've been very much just trying to get the data to be the thing that people are excited about because ultimately that's what it's about. Uh, you can have a fantastic team, but if at the end of the day, the product doesn't work, it truly doesn't matter. So I would almost select for investors that don't over-index on team based on like vanity metrics as much as they would based on substance. So the investors that we uh, have and the ones that we're targeting for future fundraisers are the ones that really care about the substance and can see through that uh, more fluffy, uh, noisy layer uh, that uh, is oftentimes easy to make a decision based on, but frankly distracting and hasn't been a good correlation with actual returns or you know impact on humanity. So I think that's where there's still a bit of a gap. Especially in, in your field, right? You need the right, right people who understand yeah. biotech to, yeah. to be on your team. I talk about that too. You have to do your research, know you're yeah. getting into, into bed with, you know, theoretically, yeah. but if you're with the wrong investor mm -hmm. who doesn't get it, they can make your life a nightmare and mm -hmm. the business may not go anywhere from that. And you may lose your mind if you don't have the right investor. <laughs> so now where are you talk about what stage you're at with your business and what the next step is. Yeah. So in our case, because we did kind of start from scratch, it took us about four years to get the technology to work in a way that we would have normally licensed it out of academia and gotten the company started that way. So it was a good way to kind of own all the IP around it, but a very stressful existence to get it uh, kind of from zero to one. But then that it worked, uh, as you mentioned, uh, we were able to then attract a, a large pharma 
to believe in our technology. We were speaking with several groups at the time. Uh, our relationship with Bristol-Myers Cribs started with our relationship with Celgene, with a couple of fantastic people there. Uh, and then when it came down to actually, now that the tech works, let's see if we can actually collaborate with somebody else to expand the access beyond what we're doing internally. Uh, that's where we met the right people in that team. Uh, and they really liked the approach that we were taking, which was incredibly flattering and uh, so much humility in the sense that this is something that uh, uh, large companies have been thinking about for a long time and they took a chance on our technology. So it was very uh, flattering to have that happen. And and thankfully the science is going really well. So we're all excited. Congratulations. That is not an easy I mean, think of all the money that's out there that's been trying to solve this problem. And then here come these young people who just graduated college or recently graduated college and you're solving the problems, but that's often what it takes. A fresh There's mindset, right? Yeah, just something a little bit different and the ability to take risk. I mean, frankly, if I were in a stable job in pharma for maybe 10, 15 years, I wouldn't have left to start a company. It feels very irresponsible, especially if there's, you know, dependence, financial commitments, uh, Startups are incredibly risky, incredibly stressful. Honestly, I, I haven't taken a proper vacation in seven years. It's just been like nonstop. And that's something that's hard to give up if you're already used to a certain lifestyle. Uh, so, okay. So let's talk about how do you deal with that where you're constantly, you know, you have venture capital funds now and they're watching over you and they're, they have expectations. They're not just going to say, oh, you're stressed out, Maria. I'm sorry. Go on vacation. That ain't how it works. And so talk about how you've adjusted to that and still kept your sanity, or maybe you haven't. So you <laughs> talk to us about how you deal with, with that type of pressure. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly been fraying. I feel like I also hold myself to a really high bar. So it's not even about any external forces. I just feel like if I'm not there to get it done, nobody will for certain things. And you get help where you can, and they delegate as much as I can to other people. And that's where having a great team uh, is super helpful. Um, uh, the folks under me are fantastic. So they've been helping me with truly anything that I can delegate to them. Um, but there are inevitably the things that kind of are on my plate. And it's, it's a lot. It's also a lot because there's no really set to-do list. It's just, it's on you to be proactive and do more things beyond the obvious things that you have to do. So the way I sort of manage is doing things that I enjoy more <laughs> when I'm really stressed. <laughs> Uh, like, you know, getting company merch or like little silly things like that. And then the things that I'm dreading, like, uh, you know, updating a deck for whatever meeting and digging up some data, formulating certain things. So you balance it out. Yeah. And delegation. You know, with yourself. <laughs> with yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. We have to play those mental time. games. We have to. It's it's just, um, some, you know, it's just part of it. But, you know, and if there's you do have some months are far more stressful than others. Sometimes your bank collapses and you have to figure out what to do. <laughs> and, uh, were you part of Silicon Valley Bank? We were. We had just enough money in there to make my life really hard if we had the other half uh, in another bank. And it, it was it was insane. It was nutty. It's like all these things that you don't expect to be a stress point or even a failure point in the business that you now have to be conscious of. You're we focusing better on biotech, and not banking. Exactly. Right? Then that you was put on your, then your treasury hat comes on and you come up with a with a strategy for that. So it's all these things that just keep coming up that you can't really anticipate. Uh, yeah. It's it's part of owning a business, right? Yeah. Regardless of what the business is, no one expected the pandemic to hit. For some yeah. people, it ended up being the best thing ever, right? Yeah. It, it made their business skyrocket or they were able to find a need within that and capitalize on it. 
but that's just part of owning a business, right? It's just, you don't know what's around the corner and you just have to be kind of nimble enough that you can adjust and have those people who are on your team who can help support you too, because we all need to have someone once in a while to, to have our back, right. And vent to and support us. Absolutely. And a good support network outside of work, uh, like family, friends, people you can be uh, honest with. Um, Because oftentimes I feel like a lot of founders feel very lonely. There's not too many people you can complain to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't really complain to your coworkers uh, about many things or you're bored even. You you can't to a certain extent, but they're busy people. Uh, There's other founders that I've found a lot of friendship and support in. Uh, so it's really important to build up these communities it's just even as a sanity check of like, it's not you, it's just the situation or <laughs> did I handle this fine? Was there something else I should have done? It's so, so true. Yeah. That's why we started Feel the Fire was yeah. because as leaders, we, we feel lonely a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? And we go, th- we have so much pressure on our shoulders and yeah, you can't go tell the board, Hey, you know what? I, I have a headache. <laughs> I've been working nonstop. It doesn't work that way, Um, Mm -hmm. especially as a woman. Let's be honest. As a woman, we are held to a certain standard because they are often, not everyone, Mm -hmm. but often they are waiting for us to Mm -hmm. have those challenges that we don't bounce back from. That has been my experience. Mm -hmm. That's been the experience that I've seen with many of my clients who who have a board of director or board of advisors that we play by different rules and it's okay. We just have to be aware of them and we have to have those outlets where we can go and be sincere and have people who get us, who understand what we're going through. And, you know, it's sometimes we just need to to have that ear to bend and get that, that feedback so that we can keep going and doing what we love to do. Yeah. There's certainly a higher bar. Mm -hmm. Yes. When you look at like presentation quality or, you know, data level, (laughs) just team dynamics, it's just, it's, it's certainly higher. It's unfortunate, but if anything, it makes us better. So there's that. It does. Yes. You either crumble or you you, you break through and you get stronger and you learn how to deal with it. And then the good thing about it, because I want, I don't want people to feel scared of, of going after this type of, you know, know, getting to this high level, right. And, And taking these chances because as you do it more, you get respect and people stop questioning you as much. And then people start coming to you, you know, these venture capitalists, these private equity people, um, other investors will start pursuing you eventually, but we have to put in the, the miles and, um, and just kind of be aware of what is it that we're building, be driven by that, stay focused on that and just know it's all part of the journey. And, and it will pay off as long as it's something that you really care about. Yeah. It's like when we were getting started, uh, the entire gamble was either this fails and they would have learned a lot or this works. And then it's incredible for so many reasons. And, uh, yeah. I, I, I yeah. sense that we are going to see you in the news and yeah. um, you're doing some amazing things. So Maria, do you have, before we jump, mm-hmm. do you have one piece of advice for, for women who are building amazing businesses to help them with their mindset. Yeah, I would say uh, don't limit yourself based on your own preconceptions of what the maximum is. 
I feel like oftentimes, even when I got started with Syndex, we were thinking we're just going to discover drugs for other people. And I think a, a big transition just being in the Bay Area, there's just such a, a, a high ceiling here of opportunities and of possibities. They just kind of start dreaming bigger. And you're like, well, why wouldn't we just make our own drugs? We know a lot of uh, which targets we want to pursue. We know exactly how to get there. We'll hire the right people at the right time to help us along. But at the same time, there is nothing fundamentally wrong with us that we can't. <laughs> Let's just get bigger. And then the other thing is just being available for luck to strike you. Uh, I think that's another thing that I learned is just putting yourself out there. I'm a notorious introvert who would rather stay home than go to any event, really. But uh, just going out to networking events, meeting new people, going out to pitch events, showing up at conferences, uh, giving talks about what you're working on, just getting more people to know about you and what you're building uh, it's probably the best way to just create genuine connections, uh, meet people that might be helpful in the future, that might want to work with you, uh, just putting yourself out there. You never know. Create your own luck. I love that. Nothing happens behind closed doors if you're just in there alone. <laughs> no, no, that is, everyone listen to that. Put it in your pocket and remember <laughs> it the next time you don't want to go out. Yeah, Thank you so much, Maria. Where Where can we follow your journey? Oof. Uh, well, I'm not a very public person, but there's some stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, the website, I still got to update. So there's going to be a new version coming up probably around March that might have more info. Um, but yeah, I think probably LinkedIn has been the most uh, uh, frequently updated by other sources. Okay, <laughs> by, by, not by you. You're busy making drugs. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so go find and follow Maria. The last name is S-O-L-O-V-E-Y-C-H-I-K. And the company is Synthex. S-Y-N-T-H-E-X. Go find her, follow her journey. We're going to be hearing a lot about her. And thank you so much, Maria, for being here and sharing your journey. Thank you so much, Midori. And I hope all the listeners continue on with their luck and, and make a difference in this world.